Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Welcome to episode 73 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about sex during and after pregnancy. This is a topic that I hear a lot from my clients that they talk about how they notice that the struggles around sex and intimacy uh, started or got worse during that time. And I'm so excited and thrilled to have Dr. Stephanie Beeler on this show to talk about this topic. So Dr. Beeler is fantastic. I took the her class as part of the ASAC uh, requirement. She has a sex therapy education classes online and in person, and she's truly knowledgeable in psychology of human sexuality and anything related to that. So I was very excited to have her on the show. Dr. Stephanie Bueller is an internationally recognized licensed psychologist and ASAC certified sex therapist and supervisor. Dr. Bueller is director of the Bueller Institute, where she provides sex and relationship therapy, as well as continuing education programs. She is also part of Hope for Health Center for Wellness, where she specializes in helping women overcome painful sex, as well as helping high-risk breast cancer patients. She has published on sexuality for both professional and lay audiences, including her books, What Every Mental Health Professional Needs to Know About Sex, and Sex, Love, and Mental Illness, a couple's guide to staying connected. 
Also, she just published a book with title of Counseling Couples Before, During, After Pregnancy and gives lots of good information, especially if you guys are mental health provider, because even if you're only working with couples and not necessarily sex therapy, this book can be an excellent resource for you. Before we go to the interview, I just wanted to remind you guys, I really appreciate it. If you leave us an honest review in iTunes, it will help us to reach a broader audience. Anyhow, here's my conversation with Dr. Stephanie Beeler. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Stephanie Beeler on our show today. Welcome to our show, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I am equally honored to be on your show. Thank you so much. And it's just so wonderful. I was sharing with our listeners about the level of expertise that you have. You're not only a clinical psychologist, you're ASAC supervisor, and you just published this wonderful book around sexuality after pregnancy. So I'm very excited to talk about this topic on the show today. So it's interesting that usually I see couples, when I talk to them, they say like their sexual challenges uh, started after pregnancy, after like childbirth. And that's, it seems like that's a common experience that they have. So can you tell us a little bit about what are some common sexual challenges that you see in couples during pregnancy? Right. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that because you're right. So many couples come in and they say, you know, their, their sex life went off track after the birth of their first child, second child, third child, whatever. But I, I thought to myself, you know what, we're not, we're not looking back far enough. We just kind of accept that and don't ask anything further. Right. And so that's why I had the idea for the book. I thought, I want to know more about what really goes on. And uh, so it really, there's no one set pattern for that couples follow during pregnancy. Uh, but we do know, and I'm, I'm going to quote research uh, and try not to make it too academic, <laughs> but, but, but we do know that couples that had sexual problems before pregnancy usually have sexual problems during pregnancy, and then those problems continue on afterward. So pregnancy definitely is not going to be helpful to anyone who's already struggling sexually. And as far as sexual changes, they are all over the place, as I said. So primarily for women, the first trimester, uh, women are usually tired and they have nausea and uh, you know, they're, they're going through some psychological changes as well with the idea that they are carrying a child. And so usually they're not too terribly interested in sex at that time. Uh, and then during the second trimester, uh, most women report getting more energy back and feeling more like themselves. Um, there are also some physical changes in the body that can make women more receptive or more interested in sex. And some women become very interested in sex during that middle trimester. Their hormone levels are changing, uh, more estrogen in the body. And there's more blood flow to the pelvic area, and that means to the genitals as well. Uh, there are breast changes that some women find very um, erotic and uh, you know, sensual. 
And so some, uh, some women actually have their first orgasm during that period of time. Oh, interesting. Because, I didn't yes. know that. Oh, hey, I know. I did not know that either <laughs> until I started writing the book. And I was like, oh, that very, that's interesting. But it makes sense because there's all this blood flow and hormones flowing. And some women feel very sexy during, the, during their pregnancy as well. They feel very lush. And, and then there are other women <laughs> that, that do not. But I'll talk about them in a, in a little bit. But sort of towards the end of the pregnancy, now, some couples stay sexually active right up until, you know, really until labor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but more typically, uh, as a woman gets into that, that eighth or ninth month of pregnancy, you know, it's very difficult to position herself for intercourse. And, um, you know, she's probably tired at that point. Usually it's hard to get good quality sleep and that kind of thing. Um, but sometimes couples are active in other ways, like they may not have intercourse, they may do a lot of cuddling and petting and enjoy each other that way. Uh, so that can that can be the case. And then on the other hand, you have some women who just don't feel good through the entire pregnancy. Some women don't feel sexy at all. They're, you know, they kind of look down and they go like, oh my God, look what <laughs> to my body <laughs> and uh they don't enjoy you know they like the idea of becoming a mother yeah, for the most part you know I'm, I'm sure you've had the experience of having pregnant women saying oh my god I you know this is um I, I don't know how I'm going to get into this role but most women of course are looking forward to being in that role but they don't enjoy being pregnant and uh so that can take some of the fun out of having sex. Um, they don't feel sexy. Uh, and then men, uh, now so, again, some men find the female, pregnant female form very erotic, kind of lush. Uh, you know, they think it's like having a goddess, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then other men look at that pregnant body and they go, nope, not interested. That, mm-mm, no, mm -mm. No. So some couples end up not having much sex at all during the pregnancy. If they both agree that eh, this isn't something that interests either one of them, it's not really a problem. Like, you know, no big deal. Right. You just agree, you know, eh, I'm pregnant. I don't feel great. I don't feel sexy. You don't think I look sexy. Let's just agree that, you know, we'll be affectionate with each other, hopefully. And uh, once the baby is here, we'll get back on track. Uh, but there can be problems if, you know, if you have a woman who feels lusty and her husband is looking at her, her partner is looking at her and going, meh. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> that's not fun. That's not good. And it can, it can create a lot of hurt feelings. I have had clients, you know, I don't get too many people coming in during the pregnancy. You know, it's kind of... Sex therapy is probably the last thing on their list, but I do get couples sometimes that I've seen in the past and, uh, you know, who had sexual difficulties and I've helped them with that. But then during the pregnancy, the sexual difficulties kind of come up again, um, maybe in a different way. And I've had couples coming in with that kind of presentation where the guy is just like, mm -mm, not interested. And she feels very hurt. And, you know, he's kind of like, well, of course I'm not interested. I mean, look at you. Right. <laughs> like, 
what? That hurts my feelings. I'm carrying our child and my body is doing all this work for us. And that's the kind of thing that you say to me, like, how dare you? (laughs) So, you know, and then I have to kind of help them, you know, help her understand that that is not an, you know, a completely unusual reaction, but also talk to him about having some empathy (laughs) for her, you know, so it can be it's a it can be a tricky time. I've also had couples come in where um, the husband has had an affair during the pregnancy. So I've had couples coming in just a few weeks mm-hmm. after giving birth uh, because couples can be at risk for um, unfortunately for infidelity during this time. And there's also which I can I. I don't really get into in the book. I mention it though. There, women are also unfortunately at risk for domestic violence. Oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, I was just recently talking with a gynecologist I work with, and she said, you know, that they, uh, you know, sometimes things would happen uh, where, you know, a woman would have had intercourse, say two weeks postpartum when she's really not supposed mm-hmm. to be right. because everything is healing and they would have to go through very carefully to assess for, for domestic violence. So that is, uh, that can be a concern. Uh, you know, men experience all kinds of different mixed emotions mm-hmm. and, and find that very confusing during the pregnancy. So that's just something else, unfortunately, that uh, we have to be aware of. Right. And, it's interesting that and understandable when you mentioned that the research shows that like most people, it kind of magnifies people's struggle. So if they had sexual challenges in the past, it might kind of magnifies the problem. So as you say, it's not helpful. And you were talking about issues that about changes in the body. And actually, that's a time I see some women that they have, and I know our listeners know, and I share it with you, I work with eating disorders and some women kind of restart their challenges with eating disorders and body image and self-image. And that can be very tricky because they don't feel connected with their bodies and they don't want to have sex. And that can at times carry through their pregnancy and after giving birth. Right. Yes. Right. I'm aware of that. I've had uh, friends and clients who have struggled uh, with eating disorders during pregnancy because of those changes in the body. You know, it's very difficult if you're, you know, you're supposed to gain weight, but, you know, if there's a struggle, an emotional struggle right. around that. It can be very difficult. On one hand, you want to make sure that you have a healthy baby. On the other hand, you know, you can become preoccupied with your body image. Right. And mm-hmm. it's a good time to get help to, you know, talk about your feelings about those changes. Absolutely. And something else I wanted to talk about is, you know, in the movies, we we see this stereotypical image of pregnant women wanting to have sex all the time and we hear about it, read about it. And I'm kind of curious that based on the research and the experiences you have, how do you see pregnancy affects women's libido? What are some of the common things you see? Right. So again, you know, some women find with the hormones rising, hormone levels rising, that they do feel a surge of sexual energy. And in fact, I, I spoke to someone recently who said that she never had a drive except for one week during her pregnancy, which I thought <laughs> was really funny. And she said, you know, that was the one week that she, 
she was all over her husband and he was you know kind of looking at her like who are you what is going <laughs> what is going on so uh yeah so sometimes women can have a very strong drive during this period of time and uh you know again with uh, orgasms can be sometimes more powerful or easier easier to have an orgasm so makes a woman more enthusiastic about right. aging and then on the other hand you see this is the thing like there's no typical story mm -hmm. here on the other hand sometimes with all that blood flow to the pelvis sometimes orgasm can be uncomfortable so it it can especially later in pregnancy sometimes it can cause a prolonged uh, contraction mm -hmm. you know it's not labor but just a contraction in the uterus that can be kind of uncomfortable or you know the the pelvic floor muscles can tighten up and that can be uncomfortable uh, so, you know, in that case, you know, sex is not some, going to be something that she's going to look for or look forward to. And, uh, you know, so her drive might really go down during the pregnancy. So um, I think that I, I think I, I guess my message on that would be to just kind of understand that there's no one way to be sexual during pregnancy. Uh, but to be aware that there can be problems that deserve to have attention. Because as I, you know, I just said that men are at risk of engaging in infidelity, extramarital activity. And, you know, if a woman is put on bed rest or she really has no drive or something like that, then the, the couple has to have a conversation about it. And we can't just assume that oh, my partner is going to be so understanding of the fact that I, I'm on bed rest for four months. Um, I think it's important to, right. you know, say, you know, have a conversation and say, okay, how are we going to get through this? How are we going, you know, are there ways that we can be sexual? Um, maybe that I can, uh, if a woman can please her husband during this time, or he can be with her and please himself, or they agree that he can be in private or, you know, that's an uncomfortable conversation to have, right. and I realize it, but I think it's a, an important conversation so that the couple has a good understanding of each other during this period of time. Right, and I agree with you on there's no ne not necessarily one common presenting kind of way of, like, presenting common way of uh, experiencing sexuality during pregnancy because I was working with someone and she was telling me that she didn't have drive similar to what you shared with us. And she felt so guilty because that's, she didn't know that's a possibility. She yeah. just thought like, you know, I'm going to be, have all these hormones and I want to have sex all the time. And that wasn't her case. And she said she was tired and she felt so bad about it. Right. But you know, she shouldn't feel bad. I mean, that's just the way it is. Right. And I, I don't think that guilt is going to help her recover afterward either because then she might feel obligated to be sexual with her partner and maybe too soon you know like maybe feel like okay you know six weeks and mm -hmm. that's what the doctor said six weeks and now I uh, need to jump into having intercourse and lots of it to make up for right, it, right. You know? so yeah you know and there she could she might still be tired afterwards so I think you know both men and women have to be true to themselves and be honest about what's going on. They have to be tactful, you know, and be gentle because it is a big change. And, you know, they have to have conversations 
about what the changes that are happening between them, uh, within them and between them. And then, of course, you know, there are psychological changes that go along with all of this that can have an effect on sexuality as well. So, you know, some women turn inwards during this time and they're really connecting with the, you know, I keep saying baby, but, you know, it's with the fetus, but the imagined infant and what life is going to be like after baby. And uh, so they're making those connections. And uh, some men don't relate to that. Uh, and for some men, right. like the baby really isn't real until mm-hmm. the baby is like in their arms after it. <laughs> <laughs> after a woman has given birth. It's like, oh, okay, I gotta now, see it. <laughs> now we're talking, right? You know, they're very concrete. So, <laughs> and some and some men are kind of weirded out about, you know, like, oh, there's something growing in there. And some women are weirded out about it. Right. <laughs> right. The most common, I think this is important, that the most common reason, though, that couples uh, may not have sex during pregnancy is that they're afraid of hurting the baby or they're afraid that the fetus will know what they are doing. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember the first time I heard somebody say that, I, I couldn't help it. I just looked at them like my eyes bugged out. I went, <laughs> what? Okay. And I said, well, you know, it's a, it is a fetus, so it's not fully developed and it hasn't been exposed to anything social. So there's no way for the infant, the developing infant to understand when you're having intercourse. But, you know, <laughs> but there, there was something there. And I, I kind of felt you know, as a psychologist, I'm kind of analyzing everything. Right. And I'm thinking, maybe this is just a nice way of couples saying, yeah, we're not really interested in having sex during this period of time. Like, you don't look sexy to me, and I don't feel sexy either. And so we're just going to say, ah, we don't want to hurt the baby. <laughs> <laughs> being tactful about it, yes. Yes, right. I think that's it. A way of being tactful. I think I, I don't even know that it's conscious. I think sometimes it's like, you know what? Nah, I'm not interested. I might hurt the baby. <laughs> right. And, you know, interestingly, I have, and, you know, I'm in second phase of like, like late 30s. And I have friends that they tell me like now that after years of trying or different fertility treatment, they just started like they just got pregnant or like it's just so they're so scared because, I mean, obviously they're a physician, yes. like they go with physician's recommendation, but even when the gynecologist, fertility physician recommend them, that's okay, you can have sex, they're still scared because they, they don't want to compromise that chance of having a child. Yes, I've heard that. Yes, absolutely. I have heard that. I didn't say, I didn't come across any research about that, but I I know clinically I have heard that. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, we invested so much time and energy and effort into um, creating this pregnancy that we don't want to do anything to risk it. Right. Um, and then going back even further for those couples that are infertile, which I also talk about in the book, you know, sexual problems and infertility. You know, those couples, uh, sometimes those infertility treatments or having sexual problems that make it difficult to get pregnant don't get resolved very well. Uh, And so, you know, they go into the pregnancies struggling, Mm -hmm. maybe with their relationship, maybe from the sexual issues that came up while 
trying to conceive and uh you know it, it it there's a ripple effect that can go on i have found for years you know sometimes like somebody is in my office and they have you know kids in high school and somehow we'll end up talking about you know the marriage before uh before babies came along and they'll realize that it was infertility treatment or uh, you know, just the struggle of trying to get pregnant that really got everything off track. And, and they didn't, they never really talked about it. And that's the problem. You know, there's not a conversation about it. And there's just an assumption, oh, we'll just get back to normal. And what is normal <laughs> after you've had right. a baby? <laughs> right, right. Especially for a few years. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So those are, you know, the the postpartum period is so is uh you know very challenging right. uh, for couples and um you know that, you know some couples do get things back on track no problem you know they had a good sex life before they had a decent sex life during the pregnancy they had a good sex life after usually those couples are seeing me uh, because maybe there was infidelity or something mm-hmm. like that you know later on. So, uh, you know, just we know that there are couples that have have a good sex life before, during and after. But we don't understand, I think, the struggles of couples that, um, you know, had a hard time getting their sex life back on track. Right. And for the postpartum period, is there any specific, I guess, like more common like challenges that you see specifically for that part of the couple's life? Yeah. So. I think fatigue is probably the number Uh one problem. And, uh, you know, some couples, some people are really very unprepared for all the changes that the baby is going to have on their lives. Right. You know, especially people these days are having children when they're older. And so they're a little more established with their routines and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so incorporating, (laughs) you know, the, the routines and the demands of an infant can be very challenging. And also, you know, having children when you're older, also it does, I mean, it does make a difference. You know, I had my own daughter. I just have one child. I have one daughter who's now 27. But uh, when I had her, I was 34. And I had been a school teacher. Uh, I started teaching in my 20s. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I have so much more energy in my 20s than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> like, I didn't think it would make that much difference, but it did. I was like, oh my gosh, you know. So so I would say the number one issue is, is energy, having energy. Uh, another one is uh, time, of course, because there are all, so many tasks associated with um, child, child care, you know, more laundry, so trying to get meals made, whatever, pumping, if you're going to uh, pump breast milk, you have to have time to do that and so on. Uh, and then, you know, our, our what, what's the word, our leave policy, you know, in our country, right. we don't have a very good leave policy. So, you know, women are often going back to work mm-hmm. you know, a month later, you know, and, and that's very difficult adjustment to make. Right. So there are all these different adjustments, you know, just adjusting to being a mother, 
adjusting to being a father and adjusting to having a family uh, takes a lot of mental energy, emotional energy. And so sometimes there's, there really isn't much left over for sex. Uh, plus women sometimes, because they're doing a lot of, you know, the pri- they're usually are the primary caregiver and there's a lot of touch involved. And, it, you know, if they're breastfeeding, even if they aren't breastfeeding, you know, they're still holding the baby a lot. They're cuddling the baby and playing with the baby. And all that touch sometimes makes them feel touched out. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> I just feel so touched out. Like, I don't want anybody else touching me. Like, please don't. <laughs> like, enough. You know, so uh, there's that. And there's, uh, you know, speaking of breastfeeding, you know, there are sometimes issues around that, like whose breasts, I had a woman say, I don't understand whose breasts these are right now. Are they mine? Are they the babies? Are they my husband's? You know, like right. this very kind of complicated uh, relationship that a woman has with her, her body, her breasts. And so, and then the, the husband or the partner, I should say, you know, not everybody's married, but the partner sometimes feels quite left out uh, of the whole thing. <laughs> Right. So, you know, and he's wanting, you know, he, he maybe really genuinely feels close to his partner because she, you know, often he'll say, like, she did this miraculous thing with her body and it just makes me love her and I want to be close to her. And she's like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that same need as you do. Like, I'm happy. I've got, I've got the baby. Right. <laughs> and I'm getting my needs met with the baby and, you know, not really, um, you know, kind of struggling to meet the needs of an infant and her, her partner. So (laughs) all these challenges going on. Right. Something else that I hear is absolutely from what you're saying. I can totally see exhaustion, frustration, all of that can impact people's desire level. And at times I hear from women that they, uh, they went through labor that, they find sex painful after what? Is that a yeah. common experience you hear? Yeah, unfortunately it is. And so it's, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but it, it's, it's not a small number. It's you know something like 20% of women one year postpartum will still find intercourse to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that can be for a lot of different reasons. You know, they're, even if a woman has not had an episiotomy, which is, you know, the, the uh, surgical cut that is made to make the passage of the baby's head uh, easier, right. uh, even without that, um, there can be changes in the pelvic floor muscles uh, just from carrying a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, the baby is putting a lot of weight and exerting a lot of weight on the pelvic floor muscles. So there can be changes in those pelvic floor muscles. And that, so that can be true even if a woman has had a C-section. So it used to be like for a while, women were saying, I'm going to have a C-section because I don't want any <laughs> right <laughs> sexual changes from delivering a baby, but just carrying the baby can change the pelvic floor muscles. And also sometimes women uh, going through labor before having a C-section will find that they have changes in those muscles. And then of course, uh, with episiotomy, there can be uh, scarring, uh, scar tissue 
that can be very make intercourse uncomfortable. The good thing is that there are things that women can do. Uh, and so, you know, my practice is in a pelvic, a pelvic wellness clinic. And so we have a pelvic floor physical therapists who work with women before they deliver to, so that they have kind of well-toned pelvic floor muscles and they'll have a better recovery. And then they will also work with women postpartum to help them with those pelvic floor mus uh, muscles getting back into shape. So that can be very helpful. The other thing too is that sometimes women, uh, before they have intercourse for the first time, they're so nervous that it's going to hurt. Right. Right. That they brace themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> I don't remember, I had a friend who said, oh my God, the first time we had intercourse after I gave birth, it was like he was putting a tree. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Not sexy at all. <laughs> you know, fortunately for her, she stuck with it and it got better. But, um, you know, so women are nervous and they brace themselves like, oh my God, this is going to hurt. And then of course, because they're all, you know, all their muscles are tight guess what? It hurts. So, you know, what I would recommend to couples is to, um, first of all, wait until a woman is fully healed. Uh, and generally that's six weeks. That six week mark though, is not a, it's not like getting a note from the doctor that says, okay, you can go home and have intercourse now. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to be psychologically and emotionally ready as well. And if it takes a little longer than six weeks, then so be it. And, uh, you know, to uh, be affectionate and, uh, you know, spend time together alone without the baby, if possible, can be very helpful during that time. But then when it does come time that a couple does want to resume intercourse to make sure that they have you know, plenty of foreplay, uh, realize that a woman's body may have changed during the pregnancy, that things that you know, maybe she won't enjoy having her breasts touched. Maybe she won't want to be touched around her belly if she still hasn't gotten her belly back in shape. But, and that's okay you know, and she can communicate, you know what, this would feel good. This would feel good. Please. I, I don't think I'd like this. And so to have that good communication and to use lubricant, right. <laughs> you know, use lubricant and, you know, there's so many different kinds, but what's popular these days seems to be using um, coconut oil uh, because it's natural and, um, a lot of people seem to like that, but if mm -hmm. you don't like that, there are other types of lubrication. Uh, and that should be right there at the bedside, <laughs> ready to use and put a lot on her. And, and, and the guy should put some on himself as well, or she can put it on him and make that part of your uh, lovemaking experience. Right. So, and go slow, you know. Right. And I, and I love that you keep kind of emphasizing on communication because I feel people uh, sometimes just hard to talk, to communicate about anything with their partners that's sensitive. And I think we never learn how to kind of give a voice to our desires, what, what feels good, and especially what doesn't work. And yeah. yeah, and I think that can be very tricky. And it's just a key if you're in pain, if there's something that's not working for you, 
it's important to talk about it. And you're yeah. definitely, I think, was very important, as you mentioned, to be tactful about it because we were tired. <laughs> we were under lots of stress. So we might say things in the way that's not uh, helpful and our partner might not be able to hear it. Do you have any tip as far as how to approach these sensitive things more tactfully? Right. So I think, you know, I think if there's something difficult to talk about and, uh, you know, you're the partner that is going to bring it up, I think like sometimes if you can, if you have like a trusted friend or even a, a, a relative that you can talk it out with and come to some ideas about how you're going to state something to your partner, you know, and that's not going to be appropriate for everybody, but some people do have someone like that in their lives or a therapist is a good person to work things out with. I have people in my office often um, uh, if I just have the one partner in my office, we sometimes we spend quite a bit of time. Like, how are we going to, how are you going to word this so that you don't hurt your partner's feelings you get your message across and you ask for what it is that you want uh, and, and they'll write it out. And I think writing things out is sometimes a good idea. Mm-hmm. Write out your thoughts, uh, maybe put it aside, maybe bring it back and then look at it, you know, an hour later or something like that. And then uh, make an appointment with your partner <laughs> and say, you know what, there's something I, you know, something I want to sit down and chat about. And then, uh, you know, at that time, you know, and you say to your partner, you can also say, you know, if there's anything you want to bring up, think about it. We can talk about that, too, uh, and make an invitation to have a conversation and then uh, just sit down with your partner. And if you have to read it off (laughs) what you've written, that's okay. And or, you know, if you can do it off the cuff, that's fine, too. And just present it to your partner in an assertive way. Uh, you know, it's not, this is not about putting your partner on the defensive. This is about saying what is true for you and uh, how it affects you and what it is that you would like uh, as a change. Or you can say, what can we do to make this better and make it feel like we are a couple and we are a team and we're going to work this out together, not you know, not come to it as like, you're such a dope that you don't understand (laughs) what I'm going through. What is wrong with you? How come you never understand me? (laughs) Right, right. And that, at that point, the partner is so defensive, even if you're right, they're not going to hear you out. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But it is tricky, as you said, and it's just, I like the idea of like people like writing it out so they can kind of process and think about and reflect on what what she or he want to say versus uh, blurring it out maybe in the middle of the sex or right after the sex and just right, kind of like right. get to the uh, get to this vicious cycle right yes and i think you know to talk about uh your sexual experience right after having sex is a mistake because you know we typically we let our defenses down while we're having sex and so there your partner is having <laughs> Right. Let down their defenses and you're saying something, you know, giving them negative feedback. Right. (laughs) Like scoring them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's no good. 
Right. And I think one other thing that was very interesting in your book, you talked about the breastfeeding and its impact on sex. How, uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? Right. So, you know, in our culture and our American culture, the breasts are really seen as, um, you know, as almost like a, almost defining a woman's sexuality. I mean, you know, we're here in Southern California. The, the number of women who go for breast augmentation kind of tells you how important it is to right. have good looking breasts. And so, you know, making that switch from my breasts are uh, something erotic uh, and, you know, they're erotic for my partner, but maybe also for me and that I enjoy breast play um, and I enjoy the look of my breast and then to switch and become, you know, your breasts become a way of feeding an infant not only feeding an infant, but also attaching to an infant, because we know that, you know, breastfeeding, there's a eye contact that's being made and the touching, the cuddling that's happening. So there's a lot of bonding going on during that time. And so a woman, may, she may uh, see her breasts very differently during this time. They may feel different to her. Sometimes, like you said, there can be changes in body image. I've had women talk about, you know, how um, different their breasts looked as a result of breastfeeding, that they didn't like the appearance and it made them self-conscious. And so sometimes breast play is kind, of, kind of comes off the table, uh, which you know can be difficult if that was a way a woman felt turned on or something like that. It can also be difficult for the partner because, you know, like that woman said, are my breasts mine? The baby's his. You know, he can feel kind of possessive about her breasts, you know, jealous of the baby getting attention at her breast. Sometimes men find, uh, you know, some men find even being at the breast uh, and feeding can be erotic for them. Uh, that's not much talked about. Right. But, right. But that, that can be uh, true. Some couples think that's fun. Some couples think it's gross. You know, so everybody is different at this time. And again, I think it just takes communication, you know, for women to say, you know what, this is how I'm feeling about my breast right now. Uh, and for now, you know, and maybe that will change soon and maybe it'll change later, but for now they just kind of feel off limits uh, for, I'm just not feeling very sexual about them at this time. And, uh, and but, you know, and that's okay. Women have a lot of pressure these days to breastfeed. It creates a lot of tension for women. I've seen women become very depressed when breastfeeding is difficult for them. So it's really, it's a huge topic. I think when women are having kind of negative feelings about their breasts, I mean, truly negative feelings, that it would be good for them to talk to somebody about what's going on or having struggles with breastfeeding because that, that can definitely be associated with postpartum depression. And uh, that's something we definitely want to avoid. Right. And again, I love the kind of idea of helping people to kind of express what they're experiencing and talking about it with their partners. Because from what I'm hearing, and also from your book, there's just this range of different experiences people have around their bodies, around their sexuality, around their partners. And truly, there's not a right way of like feeling or behaving. It's just a matter of like 
making sure that you're talking about it and you're feeling okay about how are things going in your body and in your sex life. Right, exactly. Don't, don't, you know, I think too often people say, well, things will just take care of themselves. And, you know, some things do. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> right. things do. It's like, you know, if you have a teenager, if you wait long enough, they become uh, a young adult. And then... <laughs> That's the only situation I can think of. <laughs> things get you know, better. It's just kind of work out. Uh, but most of the time, when you have a problem, uh, just hoping it will work itself out is not a really great approach uh, because then we end up carrying a string of problems with us. And, uh, you know, once you have what, you know, therapists always use that analogy of sweeping things under the rug. Right. So you know, have one little problem. Uh, oh, no big deal. We'll just sweep it under the rug until you have like a huge lump in the carpet, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's tripping over it. Right. Like, how did we end up with this big problem? Well, we kept <laughs> sweeping everything under the rug. So it's always healthier to sit down and talk things out and resolve them to the best of your ability, realizing that. You know, there's no, there may not be a perfect solution, but hopefully there's a solution that both partners can live with. Right, right. And Stephanie, you know, I, I love the content you have. You're such a, you're full of this great information around sexuality. And I, I share with our listeners that I loved your blended program. So I bet many of our listeners want to get in, uh, get in touch with you. So what are some of the resources, the contents that you have that you think would be a good resource for our listeners? Right. So I do have a textbook uh, that is called What Every Mental Health Professional Needs to Know About Sex. And it's in its second edition. Uh, and I think um, really any therapist, uh, I think, right. well, personally, I think every therapist should have it on their shelf. Uh, it's a great, great resource. It's like having an, uh, an encyclopedia mm -hmm. of sex therapy interventions. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the other is I do have a website called uh, learnsextherapy.com. And that is where people can find out about the programs that, that I have. I have the blended program. I have another program called the core knowledge program. And that's really for people looking for ASEC certification uh, and only want to fulfill part of the requirements. And then the blended programs for people wanting uh, all 150 hours towards ASEC certification. And then I'm also starting uh, because I get, in, I get emails from people from all over just really all over the world and uh, wanting to learn more about sex therapy or sexuality counseling. And so I am going to be starting an international program. Yay. <laughs> yes, I know, right? With content that is, uh, you know, suitable for anyone. Because I think in my, uh, the current programs, there's a lot that pertains to populations here in the States, you know, like Asian Americans or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, African Americans. And while it's interesting for anybody to read, I think, you know, I wanted uh, material that like was very universal. And so that's what the international program will have. So same, same quality. <laughs> right. Same quality, but just uh, different materials. And um, yes, yeah, so I'm very excited. I'm going to be launching that very soon. 
and uh, people can sign up for a newsletter when they go to that site. I also will be giving webinars in the near future on various topics and um, also uh, book uh, the kind of uh, continuing education where you read a book and then you take an exam to get credit because therapists love to read books. <laughs> <laughs> you know us too well. <laughs> yes, I know we do. I, I'm sure that we account, we must account for, for a big percentage of book buyers uh, because everybody, every therapist I know is always reading somebody's book on how to better understand the human condition and uh, help people. How do we help these people that come to us and they're depending on us to show them a different way of doing things and make their lives better? And, uh, you know, we're sh- like being able to share that knowledge with each other uh, is it's very important. It's crucial to what we do. Right. And again, I I took the class, I attended your uh, live classes and the online program. And I think the quality is excellent. I, I had like six years of graduate program, <laughs> but I didn't know much about sex. <laughs> so most of the thing I know is from your class. So I highly yes. recommend people to check it out. Yes, definitely. Yes, I've, I've had really wonderful feedback about it. And uh, so I'm very proud of those programs. And they can certainly, they can email me as well. Uh, and an email that they can use is admin, so A-D-M-I-N, admin at the Bueller Institute. And uh, that's a good way to email me. And I'm happy to send inf- more information or answer questions. Excellent. And I make sure that I'll leave all of those information in the show notes. So if you guys are interested, I'll check out the show notes. I'll include everything in the show notes. And Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. This was super helpful. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was really, it was, I have to say, it was really a a pleasure to be able to sit and talk about this very fascinating topic. So thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. I hope you enjoyed my conversation, Dr. Stephanie Bueller. Again, if you're interested in this topic, definitely check out her book, Counseling Couples Before during and after pregnancy. We just scratched the surface with this interview. She provides lots and lots of great information in the book. Also at the end, if you're interested to uh, learn more about psychology of food, sex, and drug, check out my uh, website at oasis2care.com. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.